Hello, and you are listening to Scar Joe A Go Go, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke, and this week I'm talking about Vicky Christina Barcelona. We're here to learn, not just to yarn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Woody Allen, friend or foe? And no, I am not talking about his beleaguered personal life. I am talking purely about his relationship with the glowing center of this particular podcast's universe. She who is known as Scarlett Johansson. Now, they certainly claim to be tight friends in the press. But when these discerning, well-trained eyes of mine examine the evidence... Uh, put before me with these films, there appears to have been a complete miscarriage of justice. Something is mysteriously missing here. I have an inkling that not everything is as it seems. So, Vicky Christina Barcelona, not the name of a single character, but the names of two main characters and the city that they travel to. Now, Vicky is played by Rebecca Hall, Christina played by Scarlett Johansson, and Barcelona in many ways is personified by Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. Now, let's look at Exhibit A, the 2009 Golden Globe Awards. Won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. Nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, Javier Bardem. Nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, Rebecca Hall. Nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture, Penelope Cruz. And that's all. Did you, astute listener, spot what was missing there? Where was Scarlett Johansson? Why was she cruelly golden glob blocked? And more importantly, where do we lay the blame? This was the question that I sought to answer upon watching Vicky Cristina Barcelona for the first time. This is definitely the mystery that I wanted to solve by Jinkies. Did Scarlett do a bad job? Is that why everyone else was nominated and she wasn't? They should say Penelope Cruz actually won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for this film. Or had her so-called friend, Woody Allen, let her down? Is a friend sometimes a frenemy in disguise? Now, when we last left Scarlett Johansson, she was being cruelly eclipsed by a crying, emoting Natalie Nat Poe Portman in the bland period soap opera, The Other Berlin Girl. And when she wasn't bedridden, she stood around and watched other actors act and was romantically linked to three of her co-stars in this particular film. 
She married Benedict Cumberbatch, slept with Eric Banner, and then was snatched away by Eddie Redmayne. Just like Benedict's Oscar chances. So, will she fare any better this time? And as I said, I totally went into this a Vicky Cristina Barcelona virgin, and I really expected big things from it, because as I've said before, I do believe that Woody Allen has a lot of talent as a writer and director, and at the moment though, he'd had one hit for us and one miss in my mind. I loved Matchpoint, and I also think it contains one of Scarlett's best performances, but I was really disappointed by Scoop, which felt to me like a misfire on every level. So I go into this hoping that three times is a charm, and I believe that it's going to be, because I'd heard a lot of buzz about this film. I knew this was a film that people really liked. And I actually went into it thinking that Scarlett Johansson was very much the main character. And can you blame me? She's right in the middle there of the title. She is Christina. And this thing certainly starts off strong for me. But as I said, as we continue, not everything is as it seems. So uh, climb into the old mystery machine with me and let's see who's behind the rubber mask. It makes us the meddling kids. How awesome is that? So this film, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, 2009, it starts in very typical Woody Allen style. Black screen with white titles, music playing. We've come to expect this by now. She gets seventh billing, even though she's second in the title, uh, due purely to alphabetical order. So denied right off the bat. And straight away, first shot, it's a wide shot. We see Scarlett, Christina, and Rebecca Hall, Vicky, on the streets of Barcelona, pulling along their luggage, clearly tourists. She's got long blonde hair whipping in the wind. She's wearing light colors, everything sort of loose and flowing. She's already smiling. There's definitely an anticipatory air of what should be a wonderful trip ahead, hopefully for both these characters and also us, the audience. And narration explains these cats. It's a male narrator who explains what's going on here. Scarlett is a character who spent six months writing, directing, and acting in a 12-minute film that she then hated, and she's just broken up with another boyfriend. She's obviously the free spirit, who's a, a bit more adventurous and, and has more tumultuous relationships. Uh, when it comes to love, um, she is the risk-taker, Whereas Vicky, on the other hand, Rebecca Hall, is engaged to be married and far more sort of sensible. And, you know, they're two sides of the same coin. That coin is the woman coin. And they are, are two very different sides of that woman coin. Rebecca Hall is all thinking with her head. And Scarlett Johansson's all thinking with her tail. You know what I'm talking about. But more importantly though, the narration, having this male narrator at this point, gives Scarlett the opportunity to do something that she does very well and has done many, many times before in the films that we've watched. And I am of course talking about sitting in the car as a silent, thoughtful passenger looking out at the scenery around her. I, I feel that this has been a really iconic thing since Lost in Translation, and we do see it a lot. So once again, she is a stranger in a strange land. The complicated American Scarlett Johansson is about to give herself over to a world of foreign experience. 
and older men. Now, I won't quote her first four-line verbatim, as it's one of those longer-than-necessary, awkward, stammery, woody Alanisms, but she's essentially thanking the female host, Julia, for putting her up at short notice. Uh, no accent or wild character traits on display here from Scarlet. We can already tell that this is a more grounded human Scarlet, and I definitely appreciate that. This is something that is working with her own qualities. And that's a big change from the Woody Allen cipher that she played in Scoop. And we get a clear indication of what's on her mind at lunch when she's questioned about her short film. And she explains that it's about how love is very hard to define. Uh, she's got a glass of wine in hand. As I said, she's very loose. She's got that slight sense of dry cynicism to her. And also that sort of playful seductiveness you know she's doing those little half smiles a lot of eyes it, it's something that's familiar but refreshing something that i've really enjoyed in the past and have missed in that last couple of films uh we next see her on a boat having a drink with a young friend of their host um, and she's quite reserved here and although these are only tiny snippets of character I already feel like this is Woody understanding why Scarlett works as an actress again. I think he's allowing her to channel those things at this point in the film that come quite naturally to her. And she's very believable in this scene as somebody who's both desirable but distant. And then at an art gallery, Scarlett drinks yet more wine, uh, obviously a, a big character trait here, and she becomes curious about Javier Bardem. He's wearing a red shirt, he's looking all manly and awesome, and uh, she's told that he has a notorious past, uh, having had a relationship with a crazy ex-wife, um, or I don't know if they were married or not, but a, a crazy ex-partner who tried to kill him. So, again, we've got Woody Allen exploring uh, this idea, sort of being fascinated with these young, attractive girls who are intrigued and seduced by enigmatic older artists. Uh, and in this case, uh, an older artist that is followed by rumours of an infamous past. Uh, right? What you know? Right, Woody? And she continues to gaze at Bardem at a restaurant. Uh, she's now drinking red wine constantly. She switched colours. He ends up approaching her and Rebecca and asks them straight out, playing it very, very cool. He wants to fly away for a weekend with them both and, and makes it very clear his intentions is to sleep with them both. He is totes gunning for a three-way. And Scarlet looks flushed and, and kind of flattered and intrigued by all this. Um, and it's because he's so matter-of-fact. And I, I really do like this combination. Whereas Rebecca is the more articulate one. And she's the one who really stands up against this audacious offer. And, and calls bullshit on Bardem. And it really exposes um, just how wrong this is. And this is that first hint where you realise that this choice and Rebecca Hall's position in all of this makes her role already the more interesting role. She's the one that's fighting it and she does have that Woody Allen talkiness, but she finds a way to really make it her own. So she doesn't feel like a, a Woody Allen cipher. She does feel like a woman with a, like a history and a past. Um, and Scarlett, meanwhile, 
you know, is doing it great, but she's just ready to rock. She's drunk. She's flirty. It's Rebecca that's having the debate. So the two women continue to debate this when he goes. They're really getting to put forward their position. Uh, Scarlett's intrigued by his uniqueness. Rebecca is concerned about the danger. Scarlett plays with her hair a lot in this film. She keeps flicking at the blonde hair. It seems to be a sort of superficial character trait that she drinks and plays with her hair. I became very aware of it in these early scenes, so I think it was definitely a deliberate choice. Um, but you know what? Despite Rebecca's protests, they end up going. And Scarlett sits up the front of the plane with Bardem being all flirty again, whereas Rebecca is the one now who's reserved in the back. But they do have separate rooms. He hasn't completely won them yet. Uh, on the streets of this uh, little destination they go to, this small town, I will note that Scarlett takes photos with an SLR camera, but doesn't look through the viewfinder at all. She sort of has it about a, a foot away from her face and wears sunglasses. Now, uh, people familiar with my work outside this podcast know that I like to dabble with the old photography. I could not possibly uh, take a photo or focus a photo. I do use the manual focus. I don't know who Scarlett was while wearing sunglasses with the camera uh, quite a distance from my face. Maybe there are professional photographers out there that have this technique. I don't know. Struck me as a little odd. And uh, she poses from, for some photos as well with uh, Javier, in which uh, she almost has that quick sort of lost in translation look, that sort of vibe of her, you know, standing next to him with her head cocked on his shoulder. I felt like there was just this glimpse of something familiar there. Now, at the end of the day, they are all exhausted and a little drunk, particularly Scarlett, who not only is continuing to drink wine, but is surrounded by empty wine glasses. Now, we talked about how in The Other Berlin Girl last week, Scarlett ended up being eclipsed by Natalie Portman. And you can feel that happening again. Not that Nat Poe has just worked her way into this film out of nowhere, but the fact that Rebecca is the one who stands up to Javier's request that they spend the night together. And she's the one that, again, has the more interesting character and has more variety to play. Scarlet is continuing down this increasingly narrow path that's been set up for her, where she agrees to go to his room. Now, she says, you know, only on the condition that he manages to seduce her. He's going to have to put some work into it. She's not a sure thing. But when she turns up, she flicks her hair a bit more. She's very breathy, very eye contacty, and pretty much assures him that she's a sure thing. And look, she's great at this stuff. Like, I think she does this really well. I think she is wonderful at playing seduction. There's lots of quick but really meaningful glasses. Her voice goes particularly husky as they get closer to the inevitable sexening. Um, they kiss. I feel like every film now, I mean, this is the curse of being an adult actor, is that now she just has to kiss everybody that she's in a film with usually more than one person that she's in a film with, as we've seen in, in previous films. But there is a slight twist. Just when we think the sexening is about to happen, she gets sick. She's got an ulcer, and suddenly she's bedridden, which is what happened to her in The Other Berlin Girl. So now with Scarlett sick in bed, it's Rebecca's turn to take over the film. And it's Rebecca that now goes sightseeing with um, Bardem, and Scarlett is left in bed playing that second fiddle. And in fact, as Rebecca and Bardem get to know each other better, uh, Rebecca, of course, becomes more intrigued by him. 
And um, it's during this that Bardem comments that Christina, or Scarlett, is a very interesting girl. And that line stood out to me because, yes, she's a powerhouse, she's a femme fatale, she's a great seductress, but character-wise, she's not that interesting in here. Like, it's clearly Rebecca who is far more interesting. And it's really Scarlett that is supporting her playing that much-needed opposite, but, but really is just a lens through which we view Rebecca Hall's character's motivations. And sure enough, Bardem manages to seduce Rebecca and sleep with her. And that's far more impactful and important than when Scarlett did it, because, you know, Rebecca was opposed to this, she's engaged. It's this action that gets the plot in motion. Um, and on the plane on the way back, Scarlett is completely oblivious to what's happened between Rebecca and Bardem. Um, she at least gets to amp up here and apologize for ruining the weekend. Uh, it's quite comedic and wordy. She thinks she's made a fool of herself. But really, the film now is making a fool of her. Because shortly after all this, uh, Bardem calls Scarlett and asks her to a wine tasting. And Scarlett's super excited. And... That's the thing. She's now playing the character with less depth. She is the only character in the scenario who is out of the loop and doesn't know what Rebecca and Bardem and the audience knows. So it makes her seem kind of naive and foolish. And because of this, because it takes away her agency, it makes her feel like more of an accessory again. And that's where I've criticised films in the past in this series is where they do treat her like an accessory, something to keep the plot moving, someone to seduce the main characters, but someone who isn't really important to the story beyond that. And already I'm kind of thinking, Woody Allen, you're a friend, I expect a little more out of this. So plot continues, Rebecca's fiance calls and he wants to come to Barcelona and marry her there, which of course is a, a huge problem because she's still thinking about Bardem. Scarlett goes back to Bardem's house meanwhile and sees his work, but, and this isn't the first time this happens, the narrator takes over and the narrator sums up their entire conversation and this male narrator speaks all of Scarlett's character's thoughts and feelings for her, as she basically just walks through the set silently. So Alan robs her of having these thoughts and emotions herself and handballs them to an anonymous man who just tells us straight out what she's thinking. And if you're wondering, well, is this an economic thing? He's trying to get the plot rolling. There's a lot to take in. Yeah, maybe. Maybe benefit of the doubt at this stage. But then he certainly makes time for what follows, which is a very extended scene of her rolling around kissing uh, Bardem on the bed. So just like in some of those other films, she's been denied the opportunity to act, but given plenty of opportunities to kiss. I, from the outside, would question how fulfilling this is as an actor. And sure enough, they go on more of a city tour, but again, the narrator does Scarlett's job for her, telling everything that she's thinking. And uh, she takes photos again. She is starting to look through the viewfinder now, at least. So she is becoming a better photographer in my mind, at least. And of course, when it goes back to Rebecca, who runs into Bardem on the street, only then does the real dialogue start up again. 
So the narrator's not summing up their scenes. He's giving those two characters room to move and room to interact, but not Scarlet. And we get into plot, plot, plot here. I mean, Rebecca and, and Bardem are awkward around each other, agreeing that they should let things go, but she keeps thinking about him. Uh, the fiancé arrives in Barcelona. Christina now has moved in with Bardem. And then Scarlet, Rebecca, Javier, and I can't, I can't pull off that name. I'm going to keep saying Bardem, which I'm probably fucking up as well. Um, and the fiancé have lunch and go to an amusement park. And it's just not Scarlet's film anymore. She started off on equal footing with the two of them in the car, the two of them arriving, the two of them stating their positions about love. But now this is all about the tension between Bardem and Rebecca Hall. But it can't work, it's all complicated. So Rebecca Hall marries her fiancé at City Hall. It's a coincidence. And when we go back to Scarlett and her new relationship with Bardem and, and the new life that this has created for her, of course it is all narrated. The narrator tells us what she thinks and feels while she stands by a tree, rides a bike, drinks a beer, all things you don't need a career actress in your film to do. You know what I mean? Like, you could just get someone cute, like a model in, and get them to ride a bike and stand by a tree and drink a beer and narrate what they're thinking and feeling over the top. So why do this to Scarlet? And then, of course, there is still more time for them rolling around and kissing on the floor. Yep, we can do another kissing scene. I just don't want you to say anything. So, look, this has all been plodding along until, finally, Bardem gets a phone call late at night and his whole demeanor changes. Scarlet is in bed with him, but once again is really nothing more than a bystander watching him act. Turns out his ex-wife tried to kill herself and he heads off to go and see her. So 50 minutes into this 90 minute film, a cheery Penelope Cruz enters and everything changes. Scarlet's definitely the outsider again. She's not even comfortable here. I do like that she's uh, physically comfortable though. She's wearing a t-shirt and pajama pants in this scene. I always love when she's got that more down to earth thing. It's not like she's wearing some ridiculous lingerie or anything like that. Scarlet is very reluctant about Cruz now interfering with this film um, because, you know, she's not just going to lose Bud M, but she's going to lose any hope she had of making this movie about her. And Bud M argues with Cruz, who already, in just this first appearance, proves to be by far the most interesting character in the film. This is why she won the Oscar. Although, I, I will say, just as a sidebar, she's great in this film. Like, she's really good. But is it, like, the best actress of the year? I don't know. I expected, like, a little bit more just because it had been built up so much. And I feel like maybe that is just a case of they're not being a huge amount of great roles in a year for actresses. I felt that this past year at the Oscars, Patricia Arquette wins for Boyhood, and I thought she was great in Boyhood, but it wasn't the sort of performance like J.K. Simmons, or even Miles Teller, or... Michael Keaton or Ethan Hawke in Boyhood where I walk or Edward Norton in in Birdman where I walked away going oh that was a fantastic performance it was great and it was because the women in the films that I saw just didn't have those same kind of meaty characters they just didn't have that interest and depth to them 
And Penelope Cruz does. She it, This is a really great character in a really great situation. Like, Woody Allen should be credited for doing this. But th- that po- this podcast, it's about Scarlett, and we're totally approaching this film based on Scarlett's performance. So, yeah, you know, it's a pretty decent Woody Allen film, and he does create some really interesting characters. It's just his good old pal, old buddy, Scarlett Johansson, who he's working with for the third time, unfortunately isn't one of them. He sells a short. And Cruz, again, is the far more interesting person. She has all the control, all the agency when she grills Scarlett at breakfast, leaving Scarlett completely on the back foot during this. Uh, Bardem and Cruz argue again, and really Scarlett now is just stuck watching their ping pong match. And later on, Scarlett laments that she feels she will never be able to influence or inspire Bardem in the same way as his ex-wife can. And while I want to feel empathy for her here, uh, the, the truth is that she's right. This character that she has feels really thin now by comparison. And she, in this very scene, goes back to her only charm, which is seduction. You know, after basically saying, I don't have any talents, I'm not interesting and and inspiring like your ex-wife, but hey, let's kiss. He rebuffs her as he doesn't want to upset Cruz. And it leaves Scarlett's character really dangling. Because the following scenes really are set up to show how Cruz surpasses Scarlett in every way. Like, Cruz is wild and passionate and headstrong and knowing. She understands how things work and, and, and how to push all those buttons. And, you know, we even have a sequence where Scarlett is telling Cruz how she doesn't feel gifted or talented at anything. You know, she's literally giving her the film now. And Cruz does admire the photography that Scarlett has done, though. And um, Scarlett does take more photos in a montage uh, covered by narration. And she's back to wearing the sunglasses and looking at the viewfinder a foot away from her face. But she begins photographing Cruz. And I thought that was really fitting because Cruz is definitely now the subject. And Scarlet is just another way of her of making her look good and, and uh, presenting her, framing her for the audience. And as, as a Scarlet fan, I kind of hate seeing her play so submissive to everyone because she feels in the way. She's the third wheel. She listens to everybody else's long speeches. She sits and watches them act and um, doesn't really get to share the spotlight anymore. And, and when her character does make big decisions and does have changes. Like, she decides to allow Cruz and Bardem to make love and continue making love, even though she's still in a relationship with Bardem. But all the mixed feelings that she has about this and that internal debate about this decision are given to the male narrator. He gets to express all this while Scarlett just walks around silently, not really doing anything. For the umpteenth time, Woody Allen has taken that away from her. Scarlett does, however, get to narrate to Rebecca Hall an encounter that she had with Cruz in the dark room, Uh, of course, which is a red room, the original red room. Am I right, Mr. Gray? She is developing photos of Cruz when Cruz comes in, approaches her and begins to kiss her. That's kind of cool. That's unexpected. Uh, And definitely, though, continues Scarlett's streak of making out with multiple characters in each film she's in. 
It's like the writers and directors are never content to have her just seducing one character or making out with one character. Now, that was how she started. Remember when we sort of went from that thing where, you know, we saw her as a kid and she was watching the older actresses make out with guys and then she became the teenager and all her scenes began with her making out with guys. And then now as an adult, she makes out with multiple guys and now she makes out with uh, a woman as well. This is a new thing. But uh, when we go back to the table and see her telling this story to Rebecca and her fiancé, she, for me, seems to lack that confidence I saw in her in the beginning. At the beginning, I thought this was a character with a journey ahead and an arc ahead who had really had places to go, who was going to um, dive into this city and really experience it. But she does seem naive and foolish now, and it's because her character definitely lacks the depth and insight of those characters that surround her. And the three of them, Bardem, Scarlet, and Cruz, continue to get it on, but eventually Scarlet gets restless. But again, the narrator, of course, explains her thoughts and feelings while she sits silently and stares. Scarlet tells them she's not into it anymore, she's realized that she doesn't want this, but it's Cruz that freaks out. It's Cruz who feels betrayed and um, goes into this big sort of angry panic attack. But it's hard for me to identify why she's developed such an impassioned response to this particular character. It has to be just the looks because it's lacking the substance. And Scarlet flees to, can you guess where she would go? If you're a long-time listener, you know she flees to France because whenever there's an opportunity to put in a French reference, it seems to happen. And again, on her way out, she handballs the film to Rebecca, who begins to show an interest in Bardem again. And we're right near the end of the film then. Rebecca and Bardem end up alone in his studio, and as they are about to kiss, Cruz bursts in, totally crazy. She goes apeshit, she starts shooting up the place. Uh, she got an actual gun, that's not a metaphor. Um, Bardem defuses it, but accidentally shoots Rebecca in the hand. Rebecca's like, oh, you guys are crazy, this is nuts, I'm out of here. Uh, she ends up having to lie to her husband that uh, her language teacher had a gun collection and one accidentally went off. And uh, she remains with her oblivious husband who doesn't know about any of this craziness of the trip. And then to end things, Rebecca and Scarlett have lunch and Scarlett reiterates basically how oblivious to all of this she has been. And it was a passing thing, says Rebecca. Now it's over. And I can't help feeling that the film is kind of a passing thing that is now over as well, because there hasn't really been a solid, satisfying arc for me here. It, it's been a lot of episodic things that have happened, and it's flitted between these characters. But I don't know, I'd have to mull over this one a, a little bit longer. It's got a lot of great parts, but I, I don't know if, for me, they add up to a lot. Maybe my expectations were just really high based on the uh, buzz that I'd heard, but uh, certainly match point is by far the superior film, in my opinion. That's the one that I will remember from this uh, Woody Allen dalliance with Scarlet. And then, of course, the two girls, women, head home to America uh, with their packed luggage and are far more somber than they were when they arrived. It's really the opposite of that opening scene. And that is the end of... Vicky Christina Barcelona, a film which really frustrated me. 
in its treatment of Scarlett Johansson. I'm all up for economic storytelling. I don't even mind narration as a device to kind of speed things along, but the fact that it robs an actor of her chance to act, especially an actor that you would think Woody Allen holds in quite high esteem, that's a huge missed opportunity for me. And I think that he wasted his friend And look, I can understand him going, look, I've got this film, I'm doing it, Um, I've got this role to fill, it's not a major role, and Scarlett going, hey, I'm interested in that, I'll do it, I like hanging out with you, I don't mind that it's a minor role, maybe that's what happened. But I believe I read that he wrote it specifically for her, which um, I don't think is a great compliment, considering how shallow that character becomes. And I also have the same criticism that I had of The Other Berlin Girl, which is... It's a film whose title and premise and marketing material set it up as saying, this is about these two women. And you would go into it thinking that they were of equal focus. But really, the one that isn't Scarlett Johansson is the core of the film. And it's funny, like, doing this podcast, I feel like this sort of thing does happen in pairs. We do see these little trends where... She's stuck doing a similar thing for a couple of movies. But the great thing about Scarlett Johansson is she gets to work with some really interesting people and does a a huge variety of movies. So there's constantly that opportunity to break free and do something different. And um, the past would show us that every time I feel like she's going down a dead end, a, a new doorway magically opens up. You know, like in um, Labyrinth. Jennifer Connelly's like, there's no doors. Where are the doors? This, this is a shit maze. And then that like caterpillar's like, hello, it's a bloody door right here, but it's invisible. And then she like goes through the wall and you're like, what? I didn't expect that. Mind blown. Oh yeah. Why was she cast? Because they're friend- friends, frenemies. And why did she do it? Because they're friends, possibly frenemies. I think this one's pretty clean cut. Uh, housekeeping, we've got to work out our scarcabulary for the week. You'd think I'd be able to say it. Episode 26, can't. While I'm really tempted to just go with golden glob blocked, I'm going to coin a new phrase which I call evil manstermind. And that is when a filthy anonymous man is allowed to get into the actress's mind and narrate all of her thoughts and feelings for her. Perhaps sometime in a future interview, Scarlett Johansson might say, you know what, reflecting upon it, I didn't have such a great time on Vicky Cristina Barcelona because an evil mastermind was pulling all the strings for me. Wouldn't that be something? And uh, her three greatest feats. We've got to talk about her three greatest feats in this film. Number one, she drank a comedic amount of wine. I like that. I like when characters have vices. I think that's pretty cool. And I enjoy vices which make them do crazy things. And I like drinking wine. That's a vice that uh, I can relate to. I like to drink a comedic amount of it when I'm allowed, so... Definitely a feat. Number two, she learned photography. Look, I doubted her skill at it, doubted her technique along the way, but she impressed everybody else. And anytime you can do a film and learn a new skill at the same time, I think that's pretty impressive. Everybody's got to be good at more than one thing these days. 
I totally encourage it. And number three, uh, she made out with a woman for the first time on film, as far as I can remember. Yet another cinematic milestone. So next week on Scarlett Johansson, boy howdy do we have a doozy. It is Frank Miller, comic book Frank Miller, who uh, wrote and drew classics like The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, He tried his hand at directing a film, a little film called The Spirit, based on Will Eisner's comics of the same name. Now, Scarlett doesn't have a huge role in this, so hopefully I don't have to understand... um, understand or explain the spirit in great detail i saw this ages ago once and it's just batshit unwatchable so um i'm kind of dreading it but kind of excited by it Uh, it'll be interesting to watch it through a different set of eyes you know looking out for for just how scarlet fits in and what she does and uh I feel like that's going to be a train wreck and possibly a very short episode. So we shall find out. Please join me for that. Also, please listen to my other two weekly podcasts, FPCast, which is the official podcast of Fruitless Pursuits. It's a pop culture podcast. Jacinta and I talk about films and news and all sorts of stuff. Listen to that. And also listen every Tuesday to the Book Was Better podcast where myself and a different guest host each week read and usually make fun of a shitty novelization of a film next week is total recall get your ass to mars looking forward to that you can find out about all these things at the fruitless pursuits website www.fruitlesspursuits.com links to all the shows links to our facebook discussion pages where you can chat to me about all this shit And also, please rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't before. I do check it. I always get thrilled when somebody actually does it. But most weeks, I cry because nobody does it. You just want this shit for free. For free! Putting it into your ears and running off with it without paying the pipe. No one think I won't come into your ears. Oh, that's not what I meant. I better go. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go, go, go.